Blog Talk Radio. Now, ladies and gentlemen, 
this is not my show. It's never been my show, and it's not about me. It's about my guest. It's about the listeners. It's about the loyalty. When, when people found out that I was coming back on the air, they were all jumping up and down and screaming and, and so excited because this show reaches so many people, and it, and it helps so many other artists out there who are trying to make it. Now, there's two ways you can be on the show. One, you can email me and say, Vine, I want to be on the show, and like most people do. You can email me at offthechainradio at yahoo.com, or if you are kind of shy and, and not real sure yet about being on the show, I can do an ad. What you do is you, you send me an email at offthechainradio at yahoo.com and say, here's my ad, and my prices are just so inexpensive it's not even funny. And I will run your ad for 30 days. No matter how many shows I do in that 30 days, I run your ad for 30 days. And for those sponsors of mine who have been so loyal and have been with me even though I was not doing the show, they are getting free ad time because these people are, are absolutely magnificent. And I want to give a shout-out. I'll be running the Andy Thought Ladies ad shortly. But I want to give a shout-out to them. They have a new book out, and they are up for an award for Poet of the Year, and that is very exciting. And then um, Diane Boat has a new book in the Sam Holden series. It's called Dogfight, and it goes something like this. Wherever a helpless animal whimpers in the dark, wherever the system fails to protect an animal, she'll be there, and she isn't giving up any time soon. You've been warned. When Sam Holden receives a tip about a brutal dog fighting ring, she embarks on some of her most dangerous acts of vigilantism yet. I can't talk tonight. The monster known as the puppeteer circles Sam's world as she unknowingly circles his. As they chase each other, will Sam put those she loves most in harm's way in order to bust up the ring? With time running out and animals in need, the dangerous life she's created begins to eclipse any other life she could ever leave. And if you haven't read the first in the series, it's called Dog Gone, then do. And, and it's by author Diane Moat. She has all of her books on Kindle and in paperback. Also, Cece Chamberlain, she was my first corporate sponsor. This woman is absolutely magnificent. She has a podcast, and it's called Inside Your Life with Cece. And it is a motivational, passionate conversation. She interviews people who are living their true purpose, whether it be a professional boxer, an author, or a history enthusiast. She strives to give you hope for a brighter day with her inspirational words. So download, subscribe, and listen as CC guides you to pursue your dreams and for you to live your best life. This fantastic show is available on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere that podcasts are available. And I will be playing a couple of more ads on into the show, but I want to get started on tonight's show because this young man has been so patient with me. He was supposed to have been on, I think, last Saturday night, and my husband was still not very stable, and I, I canceled that show as well as the shows for all of last week but he has been so patient and so kind and i so appreciate his patience his name is chris roy and he is an author and this young man is unique when i read his bio i read it several times because i couldn't wrap my head around 
where this young man's current residency is. And it, it just goes to show that no matter what we do in life, that and no matter what station we find ourselves in, that we can become the masters of our own destiny. We can be content in all things, and we can, no matter where circumstances lead us or bad decisions we make take us, we can make the best of things. Chris was raised in South Mississippi amidst the, the ugliness of the Gulf Coast beaches and the spectacular muddy bios. And he lived comfortably. He, he makes no bones about it. He lived comfortably within the criminal ventures of his youth until, sadly, a fistfight in 1999 ended very tragically. Since January of 2000, Chris has been serving a life sentence in the Mississippi Department of Corrections. However, what Chris did is absolutely amazing. He says hard knocks are the best teachers. He learned this almost too late. But he did get rid of the drugs and the violence. His institutional record hasn't been marred by a single fight or involvement in drugs, which is an incredible feat considering the brutally challenging prison environment in which he lives. Nowadays, Chris lives his life in crime curiously through the edgy characters and fast-paced stories he pens, hoping to entertain readers. When he isn't writing, he's reading, drawing, or looking for prospects to train in boxing. Chris, welcome to the show, and thank you so, so much for your candor and for your ability to be productive in a contained environment. Hi, Yvonne. Thanks for having me. First of all, uh I'm sorry to hear about your husband, and my best wishes to him and your family. Thank you so much, and I apologize for having to cancel last weekend. It He was having a very, very stressful weekend. He has congestive heart failure. Only 33% of his heart is working now, plus he has um, acute COPD, and he's an insulin-dependent diabetic. Now he's in stage 3 kidney failure. So it's it's a challenge every day to grab our destiny and own it. So uh, one could almost say, though not as you are, but he's almost in his own prison because he is now confined to one room of the house because he's on an O2, and he's confined to a hospital bed because he can't sleep in his own bed. But we grab today as it looks like you are doing, and I am so proud of you for that. Uh, yes, thank you. Hey, it seems like you are subscribing to the philosophy of the show must go on. As you said Absolutely. earlier, it's a drug of choice. I admire Absolutely. that. It, it must go on because one can only live in a contained environment in one's mind if one chooses to, and this gives me a moment away. As much as I love my husband and he loves me, we both need that break. Right, you're right. Though it does seem like he is in his own prison, uh, forced to yes. deal with a situation that he would not rather be in. He doesn't. He'd rather be somewhere else, around other people, etc. Uh, yeah, well, it's a terrible and, thing. And and that is true. But we have chosen not to dwell on what we don't have anymore or what we might not have tomorrow. We're going to just live in the moment, like you were doing with your writing. How, how in the world? Did you get started writing? What brought you to that point? Well, let me tell you, you, you said something earlier. You were talking about my bio. 
how uh, when I was on the street, I lived comfortably with my criminal ventures and the dealings I was doing. Well, I can tell you that um, I, I continued those practices. Even when I got locked up, I was still involved in contraband for several years. And I was never in uh, any violence or anything like that. But the contraband thing, I'm kind of ashamed of it now. And I can tell you the writing actually literally saved my life. I, I, I'm not that person anymore. I do not want to be that person. I don't want to be known as somebody who sells drugs that uh, it's in that lifestyle. I don't want to be that person anymore. I have reinvented myself because of writing, and it, it has changed me. I don't do drugs. I don't have any involvement with any of that stuff anymore. And uh, you know, my writing environment let me ask you this, here. was writing something that you ever thought about doing when you were on the outside? Was it something that you ever entertained? Absolutely not. I was I was a mechanic on the street, actually. I worked in my uncle's salvage yards, and then after that, for a brief period, I worked at a transmission shop. I was training to be a mechanic, and I had plans to go to uh, a tech school. I had no, I didn't read much. Um, a magazine, mostly uh, tech manuals on cars and stuff like that. That, that was the that was the extent of my uh, literacy out there. Um, I was an average student. Um, I didn't. I was not in creative writing class or anything like that. Um, I got into writing, started in writing letters to my family, and then later on pen pals. And then my writing skills developed, and I started writing short stories about 11 years ago, and uh, they were well received here. So, yeah, I had no, I never thought I would be where I am today. I can tell you that. What, what made you decide? Because just in our conversation, you are very well spoken. You're very articulate. You seem like a level-headed young man, and and sadly, sometimes our life takes a different path. When you were on the outside, never, and, and I'm going to assume this, but I'm sure that never in your life did you ever think that you would wind up in the environment you were currently in. Would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. You know, as a, as a teenager, you know, most teenagers, in fact, all of them are physically incapable of thinking about the consequences of their actions into the future. It's the area of the brain that processes that, uh, it is not fully developed until you're in your mid-20s. So, you know, you, people, adults get mad at teenagers because they do things and they don't think about the consequences because they are physically incapable of it. And especially the sort of things I was doing is just uh, one thing led to another, basically. And you know, I didn't have any mentors out there. My mentors were mechanics, and I was trying to be like them. As far as father figures, I didn't have one. Uh, but, uh, really, the father figure I had, my uncle Kenny, he died uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, he was the owner of the salvage yards I worked for. But I didn't have a, a role model in that in that role to to guide me into um, any other things, and uh, and I, I didn't have any philosophy to go by, no standards. I had I had responsibilities my mother set for me, and she was really good at that. I was too, I was too uh, strong-headed, strong-willed, and I wouldn't listen to her. <laughs> so, yeah, I got myself in a lot of trouble doing that. But the, the, the 
impression that I'm getting just in the few minutes you and I have been talking is that you accepted the consequences of your actions, even though it meant being incarcerated. You you understood that the consequences of those actions was not going to be good, but it seems like that you have, even though you are incarcerated, your mind's not in prison. Your mind is free. Yes, most people in here, they become products of their environment very swiftly. They become institutionalized, and it's hard to see past yourself from when the next tray's coming, when the officer's going to tell you you can go out to the yard, to the shower, uh, when you are allowed to do anything, when uh, you're worried about X number of people scheming against you, whether trying to beat you out of some canteen or steal something from you or try to recruit you for an organization, a gang, or whatever. Uh, there's just so much in here that, that heightens your sense of danger, and you're more or less instinctively tuned to it and tune out everything else. Uh, people that read, I believe, I found in here, reading is the absolute best thing you can do for your mind in here. Exercise as well, but reading, it, it gets your head out of this place. And, um, and fiction reading especially, it helps with creativity and everything, but yeah, I, I think people that don't read, they they are in a door all day screaming and scheming on how to get this person or that person that insulted them. Or it's the tough guy tribal status thing that rules in here. And I I don't subscribe to that as much as possible. I try to carry myself in a way that people can't tell I'm a prisoner. I've been in here half my life. I'm 36 years old. I've been locked up since I was 18, and I don't want to be here. I don't want to be I don't want to be a criminal anymore. I made that decision some years back, and uh, my wife helped me with that. She has standards that are better than mine, <laughs> and uh, I've tried. I've been aspiring to those, and I've been doing very well. I used to have rules I went by as a criminal, and I don't, you know, always did good business, didn't rip anybody off. And um, I, if I was going to, when I was a thief a few years ago on the street, I had rules, and they developed over time. Don't steal where you're from. Uh, steal from only those that can afford it and steal from those that can afford it and, and deserve it. And the last one was really hard to hold up for. But so I, I didn't, I quit stealing and, and kept selling drugs. Um, but nowadays I don't, I don't want to be that anymore. And this environment is so hard to overcome because of the atmosphere here. Like I said, it's very tribal, very primitive. Everything's about status. I mean, it's, um, if something's taken from you or something, somebody insults you or some way and you don't and you don't respond in a certain way, then your status is seemed lower than theirs. And there's always there's always vying for status here. Even to, it's an instinctual thing, in fact. And um, the different the the different gangs are always vying for status. And, uh, they're always trying to recruit. It's a pay or join thing. They, they do extortion and or they. Uh, intimidation threats. There's a uh, yeah. It's it's a lot to try to block out. And uh, for myself, uh, I do my own thing. I'm not I'm not a gang member. I uh, I spend my days working out. I usually have I recruit some guys, an exercise crew, and we do uh, CrossFit style training and boxing. And um, I do tattoos. I've done a lot of tattoos. Uh, recently was published in Rise Tattoo in France. 
and uh, that was pretty neat. Um, well done. Thank you. I was very proud of that. Uh, do I draw? I recently did a lot of drawings for my family and friends for the holidays, and a lot of reading. Uh, I help guys occasionally with legal work. There's been some litigation going on, various lawsuits, and guys ask me for advice, and I've even taken part in, and written some filings. So there's a lot of very productive stuff to get into here, and well, there's a, there's so much before more that we can get, keep you. Before we go any further, let me run these ads right quick because I have a question for you, and it's it's going to be very interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back with author Chris Roy. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? Are horses your new best friend? Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure. Available online and in bookstores. Or visit QuinnWildlifeArt.com for a personalized signed copy. Critics agree. It's a hoot. Former Boston PD Captain Stanford Carter and his wife, forensic scientist Jill Seacrest, have decided to move to the Big Apple to accept positions with the New York branch of the FBI. Rookie agent Shania Deeprose completes the trinity as they collide head-on with raging and rampant social, political, and economic unrest amid a string of murders that seem unrelated and may be serial, copycat, thrill, or hate-driven as they struggle to understand the mind and thought process of the orchestrators, killers, and victims, the team begins to wonder who's who. The line between black and white, superior and subordinate, right and wrong, and good and evil disappears as they are forced to reevaluate their own thoughts, feelings, and philosophies. Ultimately, every character must come to their own conclusions to these questions. Is justice ever more important than the law? Is playing God justifiable if it's for the greater good of all? Come along for the ride to see if Agent Carter will decide to stick to being a hunter or become judge, jury, and executioner instead. Find the answers to these questions when you read the new book, The Killing Collective. The Killing Collective is a character-driven story with big characters with depth. They're soul-searching in addition to the biggest case of the agent's careers. The Killing Collective, available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback editions. Order your copy today. Hi, this is Winona and Jade inviting you to join us and our wonderful cast on the And I Thought Women's Cave podcast on Blog Talk Radio to learn more about our book, the And I Thought series, and the Misfit Guides. They're available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. Or just to see what your ladies are up to, you can find all of that out on www.andwethought.com. Dot com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade and our books. <laughs> you so silly. silly. You silly. Remember Did you write that? That's funny. <laughs> Remember to visit us at andwethought.com. And we're back with author Chris Roy. This has been the most 
interesting interview. I am so glad that we got to start up again with this young man because his insight into life and into being free in one's mind, even though one's circumstances are less than stellar, just prove one thing, and that is we can choose to be content in all things or we can choose to go with the normal flow of things and become bitter and become discontented and miserable. Chris, what you appear to be telling me is, A, you understood the consequences of your actions when that action was committed. B, once you were incarcerated and you saw that you did not want to be institutionalized, because I have a criminal justice background. My husband is former law enforcement, and we both understand that after a five-year incarceration, one does become institutionalized, and it is very hard if one is released to the outside to become re-ingrained into, quote-unquote, normal society, if there is such a thing, and that most criminals, do something intentionally to put themselves back into that controlled environment because they can't make it on the outside because their mind is still imprisoned. Would that be a true statement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Your A, I was, I didn't actually, the consequences didn't really sink in until um, a little after the incident occurred, after the fight happened and we were panicking, uh, my, uh, my friend and I, he didn't know what to do, and so we did something really stupid. But, uh, yeah, we tried to cover it up. We didn't want to get in trouble. We didn't want a Vietnamese uh, drug gang looking for us that were known for violence, and we didn't want the police to arrest us, and so we tried to hide things. Uh, what you said about guys in here, uh, yeah, you're right. They do not get the skills they need to survive in society. In fact, uh, the majority of them come in here and they get an education on being a criminal. They learn how to sell drugs better. They learn how to steal things more. They, they learn how to run scams like you wouldn't believe. And they get out there and they become they, – they come in here and they learn things that make them a danger to society when they get out. And so what we need – what we used to have here, in fact, in Mississippi was uh, we had incentive programs. And on paper, we still have them. They're still getting money from them, from the taxpayers to the legislature. But in, in reality, the administration in Parchment, anyway, does not uh, – they do not enact the programs like they used to. They've canceled them. Uh, we used to have alcohol and drugs, G&E. We used to have computer class, all kinds of things, life skills. Uh, art pro- we had art program with art contests, recipe contests. It was just great things. Uh, a few years back, we had a, a different deputy commissioner, uh, E.L. Sparkman. He he really made programs here popular, and they made MDOC popular not only nationwide, but prisons around the world were coming here and asking about the programs here. Uh, how were these working? And they were very successful. And guys in here were learning skills that – would benefit them when they got out. A lot of guys I know they got out and they have not been back. They were here at a good time when we had programs. Uh, yeah, the majority of guys they they learn the wrong things. They come in here and the guys that are running things, they it's instinctive to look up to the guys in here that are running the zones, running the buildings, or whatever. They have the reputations that are the leaders of organizations, and they are not the kind of guys that are in here for helping grandma across the street. You know what I mean? So no, it's. Uh, 
I mean, you, you, you go, if you go to, you stick your kid in a baseball team and all the other kids are playing baseball and it's instinctive. It's competitive. You're like, I want to be the best baseball player here. This is my environment. I'm going to kick ass. You stick your kid in a karate class and he's going to try to be the best one, you know, if, or he, he looks up to the other ones that are doing better than him and he's jealous or, you know, it's instinctive. Your status is instinctive wherever you're at. You, sticks, you stick a guy in prison where he's a bunch of, around a bunch of criminals. Well, to be popular in here, you have to be the best criminal. So your criminal behavior, in, in, you know, it, quote, air quotes, improves or <laughs> however you want to. A lot of guys in here consider that a good thing. And I used to think like that. And it's not a good thing. You don't want to out-criminal the other criminals to be the best criminal in, in the area. That's, that leads to more jail time. If you get out of here, you're, you're coming back, you're going to get killed. So that's what's going on in here. Well, let's take that and put it into perspective of your books. I was looking at some of your books. See, Henry Roy wanted me to specifically talk about your newer book. Her name is Mercy. What is that book about? The cover is a killer cover. Yes, it is. I'm really proud of that cover. Uh, that's Craig Douglas. He's my publisher at Near to the Knuckle at uh, gritfiction.co.uk. He did all the graphic art there. Um, okay, her name, is Mercy. her name is Mercy is a short story collection. Mercy is the feature in the collection. There are five of them. Uh, Mercy is the longer feature, and the four others are short fiction. Mercy's uh, is more crime thriller than dark. The other four are dark fiction. And uh, Mercy is, uh, she's a girl not, not long out of college. She's college educated and works at a gas station as an attendant. She lives with her parents. She's uh, content with her lifestyle. She doesn't have any ambition to go and use her, uh, her degree or anything. And so she's got a very simple life and she's kind of cruising along. And then her parents are killed at a traffic stop. And she realizes you know, how much she had. She has a realization about life and her meaning and, and value of everything. And so she has no skills really to, or resources or friends to help her to go after the people responsible for killing her parents. And so she does it anyway, and she gets into trouble, all kinds of trouble. Along the way, she finds out that it was not an accident. The people who are responsible for parents' death are, in fact, several people, and they are not. She does not excuse them for doing their duty, and an accident occurred. She takes care of business, and like I said, she gets in some trouble. She has a friend that helps her. She recruits her along the way, and I'll have to let you guys get the rest of the story from the book. Yordi. You already have me hooked. <laughs> I'm glad you're interested. Very interested. Now, it's, when I went on Amazon to look you up and look up your – I do deep dives on all of my um, guests, as you probably now know. But that book is not up yet. When is it going to be up? It's available for pre-order now, and it, it's on Amazon, available for pre-order now. The uh, Kindle edition is for two ninety nine. And it will be released May 26th, and not long after that, it will be available in paperback. We'll probably do wow. a 99 cents on release day, 
There's a blog tour scheduled. Um, her name is Mercy. People can go to the Near to the Knuckle Facebook page and look at the banner. There's a blog tour scheduled for May 18th through the 24th. And we hope everybody uh, will be, every listeners and uh, fellow authors will join us on social media to talk about uh, Her Name is Mercy and the reviews and all with the 21 bloggers and the Q&As involved. Mm, well done. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Now, since you are incarcerated and since I know a little bit about the penal system, how are you able to do this? Because I know that there are rules and regs, and if they get broken, then you suffer those consequences. Because you are an author, do they allow, and because you don't cause a lot of trouble, do they allow you to promote your work? like we're doing tonight without consequences or, you know, because without any repercussions? Well, what I'm doing right now technically is it is against the rules. It's illegal to possess a, uh, a cell phone. It's contraband. However, the, yeah, however, the administration here, they, they have so much going on that's against the rules and laws of their, of, of their own. And, um, uh, yeah, as long as a guy is not wide open, uh, causing a lot of traffic their way with drugs or whatever, and um, that sort of thing, causing a, a ruckus with violence, uh, they're worried about that sort of thing. I'm not in here uh, exhorting people. I'm not robbing anybody. I'm not running a racket of any kind. I'm not. Uh, I'm currently not at war with the administration. I have been to it with before in litigation lawsuits with ACLU and Southern Poverty Law Center and uh, whatever, and then I became a target of them. But I don't do that stuff anymore. So basically, you know, I have two escapes too. I'm on, I'm on high risk for escape, and I'm on a daily shakedown list. They come and check my cell every day, look at my window, and I've been I've been on high risk for 12 years now. Uh, they, the way they see it, more or less, is they're aware of what I do, and they they let me do it because I'm not in here digging a tunnel or taking my window out. Right. Like, just okay, he's trying to make. That's it. That's I want to be left alone and do book stuff. That's all I want to do. Well, let's talk about shocking circumstances. Now, this is volume one. Is this a series that you're doing? Yes, the first two books are out. It's a trilogy. Uh, Clarice Shocker Aries, uh, she is a very strong female protagonist, the star of the books. And she is a boxer professional. She retires from boxing to focus on her family and businesses. And she has a run-in with uh, some cartel traffickers at her mechanic shop and uh, well they had some drugs in the, in the vehicle and the police she calls the police they show up and she reports it she doesn't want to get in trouble well the police show up and they don't arrest the cartel guys they arrest her they take her to prison her and her husband and so she ends up getting a lot of time and while in prison this is in book two she has to become the shocker again and that animal that was in the ring that just loved blood and gore and and violence, uh, she 
she left all that behind and left it in the ring. The, the crowd's cheering her name and uh, the promotions, the, the championship belts strung around her after the fights. Well, in prison, she had to become the shocker again, that animal. And she ends up um, a correctional captain extorts her into joining a fight ring. And so it's, it's against her will. She doesn't want to do it. She has to. She's forced to, or she goes locked down. She'll be, she'll, there's a lot of consequences that she'll suffer. So she has some fights. She does some tattoo work, and she decides to save money to finance her escape. And uh, so in book three, she escapes. And her and her husband, her husband's a different prison. He masterminds his own escape. He's a wizard with electronics, and he's a hacker. And so he hacks into the court system, and he arranges court transportation for them both, and they end up getting away with help from the outside. Her old coach and his old friend, a bodybuilder. And so on the outside, they go after, they decide to get together and go after the policemen who in Hill, who were, who set them up. And that is the basic synopsis of all three books. I can't tell you any. Oh, I don't want to know the end, because like I said, you had me hooked at the beginning. Now, sharp as a razor, I'm sitting here looking at this killer cover and reading the synopsis. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this the synopsis of this book, it goes like this. Elaborate, elaborate cons, if I could talk, and possible heist and high-speed chases were his thing. His talent in boxing and engineering made those pursuits a gamble with death he never wanted to quit. Then he left the world of crime with his woman, a blonde bombshell who also accomplished in boxing and was his engineering equal. Their late boxing coach gives him a reason to return to the life with his last wish. His will instructs his former pupils to join with other multi-talented individuals, form a team that will commit major crimes for the sake of communities on the Gulf Coast. A job coach, Eddie, started before he was murdered, taking on the Vietnamese mafia. Where in the world did that come from, my friend? That is very interesting. Thank you. I had put a lot of thought into that. Uh, I put a lot of myself into the character Razor. He's actually a a hybrid of myself and my old boxing coach. He was a really really old, uh, very rude, and formerly violent guy. Uh, I put. Uh, I have a limited skill set I can put into my characters, working knowledge, experiences, uh, mechanics. I used to study engineering, uh, science, and and so Razor developed from those skills and from myself and and from my coach. The the plot developed uh, along with uh, a friend of mine in here. Named Tong Lee, Tony Lee. He's on death row. He's a Vietnamese guy uh, from Biloxi, Mississippi. And I had to, I had this unique resource of Vietnamese culture, knowledge, and language right here on the zone with me. Good friend of mine. I, I taught him boxing over several years, and he's really good. And so as I was creating the story, he was my guy. We went over uh, all sorts of things where. Uh, the Vietnamese characters would be at a uh, Vietnamese temple in Biloxi. What's the difference between 
Buddhist temple and Christian Vietnamese down there, that sort of thing. The different, and that actually varies in the street gangs, from the street gangs all the way up to the, the, the two main mafias, the Tiger Society and the Dragon Family. And um, he taught me some Vietnamese slang that I put into the book. Um, so he was a huge part of that. And if he's listening now, thank you, brother. So Razor and Blondie actually originated in this, my original short stories I mentioned earlier, I wrote in 2007. And those were more street anything. And this is a more mature version of them. And Razor to start out as a criminal. He's retired from the criminal behavior that he did in Hope of my original collection. And but he resents it. He doesn't he doesn't like it at all. He doesn't like people, period. He's kind of an asshole at first. So as the book progresses, the subplot is he changes. He gets around these other people, and it's actually the clue from Shocking Circumstances. It's Razor and Blondie. They're the two main protagonists. And then the secondary characters are the protagonists from Shocking Circumstances, Shocker, her husband, Bobby, and Coach. And so they get around these this other people, and his standards change. He, be, he starts to like people. And somewhere along the line, he's like, hey, where do these feelings come from? What feelings I got? I don't, I don't like people, you know? So at the end of the book, the girls are throwing all kinds of ideas at him th- at, throughout the book. Whether he likes people, even kids come into play, and he's like, he's just, no, that's not me. That's not going to happen. Well, at the end of it, he's a completely different person. So, but to the action and the, the humor and the plot involved in it, um, I've I've studied a lot of science books, and so the the hacker in the story is Shocker's husband, Ace, and he he has a botnet that he developed over some years, and a botnet is it's a compilation of computers. It's combined um, twenty to fifty million PCs and laptops, and the CPU, the processing power of all those combined is more powerful than any of the world's supercomputers. And so he develops this botnet over time. And he uses it to hack into the Navy system. He uses it different government systems. And then in shocking circumstances, he hacks into a Navy satellite and takes control of a laser they have. So that's kind of a, a giveaway there. And, and sharp as a razor, he hacks into the military and takes control of a drone, a predator drone. So he's got control of hellfire missiles and yeah, a large arsenal. And it, that aids them in the end where uh, they, they are at war with the Tiger Society. They join up with the Dragon family's elder and his people to go to war with the Tiger Society. And the whole point of it is the Tiger Society is, uh, they were run by a guy who was, who was bent on changing everything for the worse on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And he was going back to old school, uh, take everything and extort them. And uh, yeah, a lot of violence and, and drugs and nonsense that uh, this, this team did not want there. They seen it coming and they were able to uh, do something about it or try to. Uh, wow. 
I don't know if that. Yeah, it's yes. it's there's a lot to it. It's over three books. Well, I'm sitting here looking at um, the other one called By Hook or Crook. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a continuation of Razor and Blondie, and the synopsis of this book. I'm sitting here going, where in the world? The Mississippi Gulf Coast's most daring couple live life in the fast lane. Razor, a trained engineer, former boxing champion, and all-around badass, is a driving force behind this dynamic, illicit fun. His girlfriend and trusted partner, Blondie, also a former Puglish champ and an engineer in training as a seductress without equal. The criminal duo show off their skills from the most basic crimes such as stealing cars to elaborate banking crimes and credit theft. Along the journey, their engineering abilities shine in creative anti-authority devices, saving them from capture and enabling them to carry off scams and jobs with gut-riching joy. Now, I have a visual there, Chris, of these two just whooping it up and laughing gleefully. Their fighting skills are challenged in the street and jail and an explosive battle in the ring for the finale, raking in betting money or saving their necks from disaster. Detailed accounts of the scams and illegal acts give readers an in-your-face experience of determined crooks that work hard and retire early with millions of dollars. Their unique relationship connection makes their careful planning, hardcore philosophy, and ambition a successful story of teamwork. Now, in this book, they just go all in. And I'm sure they drive everybody crazy. Yeah, they, they do some very terrible things to some people that really don't deserve it. And... It, the way it's written, um, everybody that's read it has enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. It's it's not my best writing. I wrote that before I knew anything about the craft of writing, actually. I had just sat down and said, hey, I can write a book. I started writing them. So I wrote that at a time when I was still very criminal-minded. I was I was uh, just into uh, – I was in um, Supermax at the time, 2007. I was in Unit 32 and I was around a bunch of other high-risk guys. And the thing was, you know, it was running scams and uh, selling drugs. It was criminal behavior. And I was still of the mind where, hey, I'm going to be the, the smartest, most productive criminal in here. I want people to like me and leave me alone and let me do my own thing and come to me for advice and stuff. And it was, like I said, I was very criminal-minded back then. And so it was a good thing. The things that happened in those books, in that book, there are no stories. They were all very good things to me back then. And to accomplish some of those things uh, was to get very high praise. Uh, Actually, some of those things I've done when I was a teenager on the street, a few of the crimes. All the other ones, I've done one or two when I was locked up. And the others I learned from either reading and piecing together, creating crimes, um, or they were based on uh, stories I've heard from other criminals in here. But it's... Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's very different. It's, it's and very and different that brings us that brings us full circle, Chris, back to the beginning of of this interview, where we were discussing the fact that prison is a place for the criminal mind to become proficient at their profession. 
they are professionals at what they do, and they hone those skills in prison because people are of like minds. So things that maybe you wouldn't have even thought about doing all of a sudden look attractive because of the environment that you're in. Would that be a fair statement? You hit you hit on something exactly. I've done things in here as a criminal, a criminal thing I've done that I never would have thought I would be doing. Even when, even when I was initially locked up in county jail, I talked to some old convicts who had been to prison, and they were telling me things. I'm like, there's no way I will ever do that. And then five years in, I'm doing something, and then 10 years in, I'm doing something. I think back, and I'm like, man, I never thought I would be doing this. But here I am. And it was just as natural as breathing, as natural as you know, going about my daily routine and, and taking care of that. And that's why I said earlier that writing changed my life. It saved my life. If I hadn't gotten into writing and become and put the work into that and become proficient writing, I would still be doing those things. And the the tales, the criminal ventures of Razor and Blondie would all of them would be a reality. Not just a few of them I had done in the past, but all of them I could. And there's no telling what other crimes I would have created since then and actually enacted. Um, I, I believe firmly that creativity, 90% of it is putting the work in. And that is true. That is very a, true. And man, and whatever your craft is, if you're a criminal in here and you're trying to be the best and you put the work in, and that's all you do is put the work in on that, the work on that, you're going to be a badass criminal. Well, you know, you can't, you know, people on the street that want to get away from criminal behavior, they want to get away from drugs, well, they have a choice. For the most part, they have a choice where they can get away from the environment they're in where other people are doing those behaviors or doing those things. And here you can't get away from it. And no, at times, it's like, oh, man, you can't get away from it. So you, it's, you, have to, you have to get your head out of here and somehow and, and find a way to work on whatever it is you want to work on. You know, become, there's, there's, again, you're, you're so limited to what you can do in here because there's no programs. There's no education, and you know, reading, writing is about all you can do. You can draw, uh, you can work out, and it's amazing what you can accomplish with pen and paper. You master that, and it opens some other doors. There's other things you can master, and it opens doors, but it takes years, years to master something before those other doors become available, before people start coming to you and saying, hey, I'd like to pay you to do my legal work. You have to put some years in of study, law, and writing, and filing to get a reputation for that. And then you have something. You have a purpose. You have a, you have a sense of purpose every day. And there's, yeah, you're still limited to just a handful of things. Criminal behaviors is, is a huge number of them you can do, and pretty much anybody can do them. So, uh, yeah, Let it's, me it's not. Let me ask you a question, and, and and feel free not to answer it because we didn't get to chat before. Is there a possibility that you will be eligible for parole? Well, right now I'm sentenced under a law that gives me parole eligibility when I'm 65 years old. There are house bills uh, brought up every other year or so that could potentially change that. Uh, I'm not really holding my breath on that. Um, that, that's one of the reasons I actually started writing. I was um, had a dream of making enough money to get a publishing contract and getting a lawyer with it. And I still I still need a lawyer. <laughs> I've been writing all this time, and 
received one royalty check, and there's it's not enough to retain an attorney. I was able to get some nutty bars and some ramen noodles. That's about it. Yep. Trust me, I've been in this business for a long time. I've been independently published since day one because I got so many rejection letters from the big six. But that being said, like you, I write because I have to. If I would go insane if I didn't write. It's it's in my blood. It, it's who I am. And hopefully with this interview it will get you more exposure because as independent authors, the exposure has been limited for years and years and years. Thanks to the Internet and thanks to social media, doors are being opened, but it's taken this long. And, and things like my radio show that's heard around the world. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I, I highly recommend that you all know y'all can't go now. You have to wait till the show's over. We don't have but just a few more minutes. <laughs> go and, and order Roy's books and, and support this young man because – Everybody deserves a second chance, and I, I think that this young man deserves a second chance. He's already proven to himself that even though he is incarcerated, his mind is not incarcerated. He's he's freed his mind to, to be in places other than the, the four walls of his four-by-four cell. So order his books. Keep up with him on social media. He does have a Facebook page, and I think it's run by by your your publisher and, and friends of yours. Am I correct in that? Oh, yes, the uh, Unjust Element team. My website is unjustelement.com, and my wife and her sister are the team, and they run my social media pages. I, at author Chris Roy, where I'm at now on Twitter. So, ladies and gentlemen, go and get his book. Support, support indie authors, and especially support this young man, because I'm going to tell you what, to be perfectly honest, Chris, because of my background and because of what I've seen in my life and because of what my husband has seen in his life and because I have relatives that have been incarcerated, to be perfectly honest, I was I was really kind of leery about tonight's interview, but I'm going to tell you, I'm very impressed, and I'm very glad we did the interview. And I, I appreciate your candor because you made hey, no thank excuse. Thank you for well, you're welcome. You make no excuses for where you are, and you were very honest about what goes on. I knew what goes on, and I, I wanted to see if, if you would be honest, and you have been. And I see a good future for you, my friend. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, you are quite welcome, and Hopefully, at some juncture, we'll be able to get you back on without getting you in trouble. Do you have something new coming out besides Her Name is Mercy? Uh, well, that's going to be published in May. Maybe later this year, I have one coming out titled Waste Management, and it is a, another dark fiction piece, and it's very, very dark. Uh, yeah, you guys look for that later this year, and if you keep up with me on, on Twitter or Facebook, you can, get, you can stay updated for that. So, ladies and gentlemen, go on Amazon, look his books up, and I want to thank him. Now, this, this will be uploaded, Chris, on several podcasts. It will be uploaded on iTunes and YouTube and Podcast.com, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, MixCloud, um, FM.com, TuneIn Radios. This thing's going to be heard all over the world. Outstanding. This is so, incredible. 
you you will you will be heard, my friend. And I want to thank you so much for being on the show, and and I appreciate you very very much. And do what you do, and do it best, and and hopefully the legislature will pass, and you will get a second chance in life because I think you deserve it. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to that. I hope I can Good. be a guest on your show again. Absolutely. I'll keep up with, with Henry. I'll get Henry to set it back up, and, and we'll get you on maybe in the fall. All right. Sounds good. Hey, All right. Best, best to you, and thank you again, and um, hope your husband does well. Best to your family. Thank you so much. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a couple of minutes remaining. Don't hang up, Chris, yet. Um, tomorrow night on... Off the chain at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. My guest will be author Sherry Rensler and Garrett Pominster. They've both been on the show before. We're going to talk all things poetry. I'm going to take Thursday night off and then, I mean, no, I'm taking Friday night off. I don't know what day I'm doing. I'm taking Friday night off. I'm taking Thursday night off and Friday night Sherry's coming on. It, see, I'm so confused. I'm taking tomorrow night off. Friday night, Sherry Rensler and, and Garrett Pumminster will be on here. And then Saturday night, author Tony Knighton will be on here. Y'all, please excuse my confusion because my days and nights are all screwed up. But I want to thank Tony Chris. Awesome. <laughs> I want to thank Chris again for coming on the show and, and taking the risk of being caught with contraband because a cell phone is contraband and I appreciate him very very much and I will add you to my prayer list Chris and ladies and gentlemen go and get his books support this young man and let's work on getting him a second chance at life because just because he's incarcerated does not mean he's institutionalized so we will be here again on Friday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. And, Chris, thank you so, so much. And I hope at some point you can listen to the podcast and share it with the guys in in your cell block. Hey, I hope so, too. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go shopping for Yvonne Mason books as soon as I can, okay. first chance. Well, there, there are three true crimes. There are three true crimes that I wrote, and then there's historical fiction, there's inspiration, there's comedy, and there is um, um, fiction that is based on crime. So just go look me up, and you will you will learn all about me. That sounds like some books I would like to read, and certainly books that the guys in here will read. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Thank you, my friend. So, ladies and gentlemen... Remember what I say at the end of every show, that people will forget your name, they will forget what you say, they will forget what you wear, they will even forget what you look like, but they will never, ever, ever forget the way that you made them feel. And Chris, I hope that tonight we have made you feel like the most special person in the room, because you are. And we appreciate you so much. So with that, we will say... Join us again Friday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time with author Sherry Rensler and Garrett Pominster with Hanging with the Web. Until then, this is Yvonne Mason with author Chris Roy, and we are once again, as always, off the chain. Off the chain. Good night. Thank you. 
You're welcome, my dear. And we will. I'll get with Henry, and we'll set it up again. All right, let's do it. Cheers. Okay. Good night, my friend.